Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Says in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 20 through 27 together. We're continuing our series, and it's entitled Return to Your First Love, a study in the Gospel of John. We're going to look at verses 20 through 27, and we're going to read that together. But let me say this before we continue. If you take out your bulletin and you turn to the back page, you're going to see that that passage is broken down verse by verse. As I was studying that and getting ready to bring whatever God wanted me to bring here, I realized that I could only get through three verses. So today we're going to look at three verses. We're going to look at verse 20, 21, and 22. And then you can cross out in your bulletin 23, 24, 25, 26, and 27. We're going to do that in two weeks. Because I I really believe this. I think the way the Lord has broken all this down, the way that he's given us direction here, is really going to suit us well. And it's going to teach us, this is what I believe with all my heart, it's going to teach us how to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. How to grow in my relationship with Jesus. Let's look at John 12, beginning at verse 20. It says this, Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. And Philip told, uh, Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and it dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason that I came. Verse 20 begins by describing an encounter that's both interesting and different to the gospel of John. And let me tell you how. That there would even be Greeks in this story that deals with important events at Jerusalem which lead up to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is extremely odd. All through the gospel of John, John never mentions these kinds of encounters. But here he happens to bring it to our attention. And when John brings something to your attention, it pays for us to look at it and ask questions. Ask questions why he's doing what he's doing. Why he's saying what he's saying. You see, the other gospel writers don't mention anything here. They don't mention the incident at all. And the Greeks simply do this. They show up in this narrative... They say this, they say, sir, we want to see Jesus, and then they disappear from the story. It's unusual. John obviously feels their presence is deeply significant. Again, why does he feel that way? Well, I think there are a few reasons. One is this, because it's right here that Jesus indicates the culmination of his mission and that it has arrived. And what he does is he he hears that the Greeks are there, 
And then after he hears what they say, he says this, my hour has now come. Now you need to remember he's put off saying that for quite some time. In the first, uh, second chapter in the Gospel of John, he looks at his mother and he says, my hour has not yet come. He looks at Peter at one conversation and he says, my hour has not yet come. And he comes to this place and he says, now my hour has come. What's interesting to me is what triggers that statement. What triggers that statement is just a few words given to Jesus through non-Jews, through Gentiles, through Greeks. You would think if he was going to transition from his hour not being ready to the hour of being ready, that he would do something fabulous here. That there would be something great to say, ha, now my hour has come. There's no miracle here. There's no healing here. There's no teaching here. It's just non-Jews asking to see him. Jesus hears these Greeks and then he says immediately, the hour has come. And then he goes on and he speaks of his glorification. He begins to talk about his death. Now remember the gospel of Matthew? It was written with Jews in mind. Luke was written with Greeks in mind. Mark was written with Romans in mind. And John? John was tasked by the Holy Spirit to present Jesus as the whole world's Savior. You see, John was the one that had the joy of writing those words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, they wouldn't perish, they wouldn't die, but they would have everlasting life. You see, the fact that these Greeks had reached the point of wanting to meet Jesus showed that the time had come for Jesus to die for the world. This inquiry meant that Jesus no longer belongs to Judaism. That he no longer belongs to one particular culture or one particular tribe. These are the people that rejected him. But, but the whole world needs a savior and he is that savior and John is announcing it in this story for all the world who seeks a savior it's found in Jesus Christ now you have to look at these seekers I I love these guys these seekers of Jesus were visiting Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast now not all Greeks would do something like that in fact most Greeks would never do anything like this So this story shows me, at least it indicates to me, that these Greeks are God-fearing men. That that they have a heart that's seeking. They have some idea uh, about the God of Israel and their deliverance and their salvation can come through Jesus Christ. They realize that their own polytheistic belief system left them spiritually empty. That their hearts were hungry for the true and living God. When I read this, I recognize that there is a lesson folded in here. And I don't want you to miss the lesson. And it's very simple. It's this. God never disappoints a true seeker. That if you're one who's seeking God today, you will never be disappointed. You'll never be put to shame. Because God never disappoints those that seek him. Several years ago when we were meeting in the building across the parking lot, it was after the service. We had just had communion together was in the back kitchen just kind of hanging out and visiting and and some man just walks in walks in virtually off the street he comes in and you could tell that he was heavy there was something that was weighing him down and he looked at me and he said sir can I have communion 
And I asked him, have you ever had communion? Do you know what communion is? And he said, no, I've never even been in church before. A seeker. Never been in church before. So I took the bread and I said, this bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. And this cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ that he generously shed for you so that you could have forgiveness of sin. And I think that's what you're looking for, aren't you? And he said, yes, sir. That's exactly what I'm looking for. 84 years old. Knew that his life was a mess. Had a reputation in the community of just a brawler, of a mean man. And he walks in this day, and he's broken, and he's seeking God, a true seeker of the Lord. We prayed together, and he received Christ as his Savior. And the first thing he did after he received Jesus was he took communion with me. You know, he came for 10 more years. Every weekend, he showed up on the front row, and every weekend, he would cry. After a while, I went and asked him, I said, why? Why do you cry every week? And he said, I am so thankful that God saved me. I'm so thankful that he had forgiven me of my sin. A seeker who found Jesus Christ. On his deathbed, he asked if I would come and visit I went and visited him and he wanted me to do the memorial service under one condition. He said, Pastor, I want you to do the memorial service, but this one thing you have to do, and he raised his hand. He was a big man, big hands. Raised his hand and he looked at me and he said, tell my family that Jesus loves them and can save them. He said, I want to break the generational curse. I want it over. I want them to understand Real life. This man was such a big man, I thought for a moment just to myself, my goodness, I, I hope they don't let you beat anyone up in heaven because if I don't do this, I may be in for a whooping. <laughs> and I promised him, I said, I'll do this. I'll do this. And at his memorial service, at the end, was able to share the good news of Jesus Christ as this man instructed me to. And guess what? So many of his family members, his sons, his grandsons, lifted their hand and came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And some of you may be here this morning listening to this message because his family is still here. He started something by being a true seeker of God. I want to have a heart like that. Do you want to have a heart like that? And if you're someone that is seeking today, remember this keep knocking. The door will be open. Keep seeking. You'll find. And that's what we see right here. And most likely, when we look at these men, these Greek men, they didn't come from Greece. What you need to be aware of is they probably had some understanding of Jesus Christ because spread through Judea, uh, uh, Judea and, and Samaria and Syria were these ten cities, these Greek cities. And they probably heard this message. They probably heard this story and thought, we need to go investigate. We need to go find out what this is all about. And one thing I know about these 10 Greek cities, these Roman Greek cities, is, is that if you were an Orthodox Jew, you really wouldn't have anything to do with the people who were there or that city. You just wouldn't have anything to do with them. 
And in fact, if you were an Orthodox Jew, you may even have some animosity toward those Jews that were living a secular life in these, one of these ten cities. So you, you just would stay away from them. You would write them off. But here is the sign. Here is the place, the time that Jesus says, now the hour has come because the world is seeking me now. He didn't put them off. The Jews didn't put them off in this conversation. And the lesson that I learned there is don't ever write anyone off. You know, there are people that you're praying for right now. There are friends that you have that maybe you prayed for for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years. And you're looking at their, their lifestyle and you're saying, oh my goodness. How could they ever come to know Jesus? I quit. I throw in the towel. I don't think this is ever going to work. Don't give up on them. Don't write them off. They need people like you. Your unsaved family needs people like you. Your friends need people like you. They need people who will continue to pray for their salvation. Not only are we taught here not to write people off, but I think this teaches us not to write cities and places off as well. You know, I think there are times when we see what's going on in some of our major cities. Take, for instance, Portland. We think, well, that's them and this is us and have at it. Let them be as weird as they want to be. But I've had to repent. I've had to make a confession and say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for really writing these people off when I know your salvation is amazing? You know what we need to pray for? We need to pray for revival in these cities. And can I tell you right now, you have one of the best opportunities you've ever had because people are occupying in Portland right now. And I cannot believe for one moment that God hasn't sent in these evangelists that are going from these campsites one and another and going and having a meal with somebody and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would not be surprised if we hear about revival breaking out amongst these people because they are spiritually hungry. They're seeking something. They all together don't know what they're seeking, but they're seeking something. You see, they want a revolution. We need to introduce them to the greatest revolutionist that ever lived. And that's Jesus Christ because he transformed our lives. Pray for the people of Portland. Pray for your unsaved loved ones and friends. Don't give up. In fact, let's do that. Would you bow your head? I want to do that. I want to pray for them this morning. Father, first of all, we bring to you those loved ones that we have just written off, those loved ones that we have just said they are utterly and totally lost. This is one thing that we come to understand is that you love lost people. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would lead them in the way of salvation, that you would intersect their lives with others that have the good news, that have the light of the gospel alive and bright in their own lives. Lord, we also pray for the city of Portland as people congregate there that you would give strength to your evangelists, that you would anoint those who are there that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and they would share that good news and that good news would be embraced and the, 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 the flame would start to burn and it would affect one soul and another and another. And Lord, we pray for revival in our city. We pray for revival in our cities all around this nation 
And we lift up right now, specifically and especially, we lift up Portland. Save those people. Bring salvation in Jesus' name. Would you say amen? Amen. Why don't you look at verse 21 now. The story moves on. These Greeks paid a visit, the Bible says, to Philip from Bethsaida in Galilee. Now, there are a few reasons out there that uh, tell us why these Greeks went to Philip. There are people who suppose there are certain reasons. One possible reason is that those Greeks were attracted by his name, which is Greek. But, but many Jews had Greek names. There were a lot of Philips out there. Andrew is a Greek name. So you can almost write that one off. And, and, and after that, there's really not a lot of reasons why it's given to us that those Greeks went to, to Philip. But, but I'm going to take a stab at it if you let me. And, and you can do this. You, you, you can either accept it or not. It's my idea. No commentaries talk about it this way. But here's what I think was going on. Listen, God is so pleased by a seeking heart. So much so that he always sends seekers to those who are seeking seekers. I believe that Philip was a seeker of seekers. That he he stood on the edge of that crowd just looking for those that were seeking God. That he put himself in the right place. So that when his life or conversation intersected with these that are seeking God, he was right there, right there to give a response, right there to do something about those seekers. I really don't believe that Philip stood on the edge of this crowd by accident. I don't believe he he stood. Not for one moment do I believe that he stood on the edge of this crowd because he was claustrophobic. He was on the edge because he was God's evangelistic point man. Always on the lookout for anyone seeking God. Always with his eyes open, his spiritual eyes open, just just scanning the crowd, looking into people's eyes, looking into their faces, and, and looking for those seekers. He was a seeker of seekers. I love that. I want to be like that. I pray that you're like that. Sometimes our eyes are, are just on our stuff. Our eyes are, are downcast. We're, we're looking for ways out of our problem. And we get so bogged down with us that we forget to lift our eyes. And lift our eyes and look into the eyes of the people who live in the same world we live in. And ask God to send you to those that are seeking him. Are you a seeker of seekers? Have you ever even heard of that before? If you've never heard of that before and you want to be, God will give you eyes. He'll give you ears. Maybe you've heard about it before, but you've just kind of let things go. You you really haven't paid attention to those people. Ask God to help you pay attention beginning today. I love people who are seeker of seekers. You know, there are people here in our church. People who have modeled really the heart of evangelism. People who have shown me what it means to be a seeker of seekers. You know what I think about? I think about Becky Wilkie. I mean, you know, if you go to Fred Meyer and you ask for a sandwich, if she doesn't think you're saved, you will be by the time you finish your bologna. 
because she will tell you about Jesus. I think of a guy named Rick Saucedo. Man, if you run into him out on the job, he's going to tell you about Jesus. I think of people here like Rich Berkemeyer. I think of Elroy. First time I went anything, any place with Elroy. I'd been here one day at church, and he said, you want to go for a ride? What I thought the ride meant was like a 15-minute tour of Canby. You go for a ride with him, it's three hours. But then he visits people. He's well-connected. He goes, I want to visit my friend. He's sick. Do you want to go with me? I said, sure. He lived right up the street right here. We walked in. We didn't even get in the door. And he looks at his friend and he says, do you want to know Jesus? And I'm thinking, he's not even warming up. (laughs) There's there's no chit-chat here. He's just asking the guy if he wants to know Jesus. And you know what he says? He said, yes, right there. I thought, I've never seen this before. And he leads him to the Lord. And the man and his family have been saved. They attend here. Isn't that amazing? I want to have eyes like that. I want to live my life like that. You see, Philip had eyes like that. Can I, can I give you three things that you need to see if you want to have eyes like Philip? One is this. See everyone as a potential follower of Christ. Everyone that you encounter, I'll tell you what, it'll eliminate judgment, it'll eliminate bitterness, it'll eliminate all those things because when you look at them, you're thinking, man, they can be on my team. And when you see people who don't know Jesus, just look at them and say, you know what, you're a wonderful potential follower of Jesus Christ. That's the way I want to look at everybody. Everybody that I talk to, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I look at them in the eyes and I think, oh man, they have a plan. God has a plan. He has a purpose. This is a potential follower of Jesus Christ. I love that. You see, Philip had that ability. He looked in everyone's eyes and he said, oh, wouldn't they make a great disciple? You know, when someone thinks that about you, you have no chance. None whatsoever to escape because they will pull you in with the love of Christ. And that's the second thing you need to do. See everyone with eyes of mercy. That when you look at people, pull down those those barriers that you may have. I mean, don't don't let things get in the way. Don't, Don't let cultural things get in the way. Generational things get in the way. Remove all those things. And the way you do that is you see everyone with eyes of mercy. Remember I said earlier that John never writes anything on accident? That whenever he puts something, he he does it on purpose? I want you to go back and look what it says about Philip. It says, Philip from Bethsaida in Galilee. He put that there for a reason. I know he did. Can I tell you what I think the reason is? Bethsaida simply means this. The house of the merciful. That's what it means. You see, Philip and Andrew and Peter, they all grew up together. They lived in a community that that brought in other people through their hospitality, through their love. It was known as a village of mercy. And here, Philip is growing up with this kind of spirit, this kind of heart. So when he sees these Greeks, oh my goodness, he's loving them right away. Do you love people that way? And then the third and maybe the most important This isn't about how you see everyone else. This is about how you see yourself. 
see yourself as God's available messenger. I really do believe this. I think there are probably people in here today right now that think that job of evangelism is left up to everyone else except them. It's left up to the pastor. He does a good job. It's left up to the the people in the church. It's left up to my friend over here or my friend over here or this person that really speaks well. Listen, evangelism is all of our responsibilities if we know Jesus Christ. I think it's the way you see yourself. I think the years have gone by and we've been robbed by the enemy because you're not seeing yourself as an available messenger of Jesus Christ. And I put the word available, you know, I put that there. I inserted that, you know why? Because we can call ourselves messengers, but we're so busy with our stuff. We look around and we're missing these moments to share the gospel. Be available to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I think that's how Philip lived his life. Listen, one of the greatest honors that God can give any person is to trust them with those who are seeking him. I really believe God cherishes that. Are you someone God can trust with seekers? Are you someone that God can send seekers to and and they will be safe and they'll be taken care of and yes, pastored? That's something that God wants us all to do. You know, I'm moved by how these men sought Jesus. I really am. I read that phrase over and over again, and we're going to read it at the end of our message today. But the, the phrase is, sir, we want to see Jesus, or sir, we want to meet Jesus. Listen, there's no question here recorded. Make sure you see that. When you look at that, make sure you know and understand. They're not asking a question here. <laughs> I love these guys. Instead, John says that they asked You know what that means? It's the tense is continuous. It means they kept asking. They kept asking. They were prepared to keep asking, even if it became inconvenient, even if it became uncomfortable. They were not taking no for an answer. They just stood there, and the Bible says they stood there until they were let in. They stood there until they knew that what they came for was satisfied. They didn't leave. I love that. And that's what seekers need to be able to do. I love that. They just stood there. There's other places in the Bible and the Gospels especially that tell us about people like this. The Greeks aren't alone in the stories of the gospel. There's another one that that when it's described, it's the same continuous tense that's mentioned about this particular man. A poor man sitting next to the wall of Jericho. He hears about Jesus coming, and when Jesus walks by, he begins to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know what happened? He started yelling so loud he wasn't wasn't having anything to do with the answer, no. No. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples came over, wanted to quiet him down. You know what his response was? It says, I love this in the gospel. And he even yelled louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. A seeker wanting an encounter, a meeting with Jesus Christ. He kept asking and he kept asking and he asked some more. And Jesus turned to him and I love this question. He went to him and he said, what is it? that I can do for you. You know what I believe is true about Jesus? If you're an honest seeker and you're seeking God and you keep seeking and you seek some more, that you'll hear along the way Jesus saying to you, what is it I can do for you? 
You're a seeker. What is it I can do for you? That's the way these Greeks came to Jesus Christ. And again, let me say this. It's odd that John would even mention Greeks in his narrative, except to communicate that Jesus was the Savior of the whole world. And this group of Gentiles, they symbolize the world seeking its salvation from Jesus. Amen. Look at verse 22. Philip tells Andrew about the Greeks who are, are, are seeking Jesus. Philip goes to Andrew and he says, Andrew, these guys, they're seeking Jesus Christ. And this is what I love about this handoff. What I love about this Passover is that Andrew is a great bringer. He's someone who loves to hook people up. He's someone who likes to make connections. Andrew is a guy who gets things done. He knows how to solve problems. He, he knows how to look at problems and say, okay, I, I have an idea how we can get to the end. I know how we can solve the problem. Let me tell you this. He had to be a problem solver because Peter was his brother. Can you imagine those guys growing up in the same house? Peter makes a mess and Andrew's going, how do I fix this? Peter makes another mess and Andrew says, I gotta, I gotta solve this problem. Gotta help my bro." I'm sure that's the way Andrew lived. He was trained to do this, and you see this happening in his life right here. You know, there are reasons to model Andrew as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We don't often think of him immediately, but I think we should stop and take another look. A Andrew is worth modeling for no other reason than this. He was the first disciple to recognize and confess that Jesus was the Messiah. Did you know that? John 1, verse 41. Listen to what it says. The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus and he knew immediately that he was the Messiah. And he said, man, I, I not only want to know this for myself, I want other people to know it. And so what does he do? He starts hooking people up. He hooks Peter up with Jesus. He starts hooking people up. That's what he did. He was a great bringer. Andrew not only received Jesus as Messiah, but he brings others to Jesus as well. We already know about Peter. But then in John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, what does he do? There's a lot of guests out there that need to be fed. And Jesus is looking at this group of over five, 8,000 people. And he says, how are we going to feed all these people? And, and it's Andrew that finds a little boy who has some fish and bread. And he brings him to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I found this little boy. But what is this among so many? Now, when I hear people preach on that, oftentimes they say, well, this guy didn't really have a lot of faith. Can I say this on his defense? He was the only one that had an idea. He was the only one that could step out and risk something, his own reputation. The fact that he may be turned down. The fact that others may think he's funny or weird or awkward. What does he do? He doesn't care. He finds this little boy and he says, well, I'm just going to take a shot at this. And he brings that little boy, and they learn the greatest, one of the greatest lessons they'll ever learn in life. You put a little in the hands of Jesus, and he will make it a lot. Wow. Andrew wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He saw things that needed to be done, and he did it. Can I say this to all you evangelists out there? Because all of you are. 
There are different ways to evangelize. We, we have ideas on how it should be done. We have these stereotypical ideas that you really need to, to be a great communicator. You need to be able to say certain things. Well, some of that may be true. You have to communicate. Can I say there's another way and a more effective way often? Just like Andrew, you can evangelize through serving others. That your actions speak louder than words. Like St. Francis said, preach the gospel all the time and when necessary, use words. When you can serve your neighbor, when you can serve your friends, when you can serve the people at work, you would be surprised today what a small act of service will do to open the door for Jesus Christ. That's what I see here. There's something about these two guys, something about Philip and Andrew that captivate my heart. You see, they're not preachers like Peter and Paul. They're not writers like James and John. They're two quiet men who are devoted, absolutely devoted to Jesus. Their their idea of the gospel is sharing with others. There are guys that are out there that need to understand this, that that maybe you don't talk a lot, but what you do is you serve others. Did you know back in this day when Jesus was going and uh, speaking and telling people about the gospel, that these guys, Philip and Andrew, were the two guys that if you wanted to know Jesus, then you went to them. These people come and say, where can I find Jesus? They say, hey, we'll show you. We'll hook you up. People say, well, we need to answer. Can we go to Jesus? Yeah, sure, we'll hook you up. I love Philip and Andrew. They had the ability, the heart to do that. And there's some lessons that I learn here. One is this. Philip and Andrew remind us that all of us can contribute. All of us can contribute. Let let me make a, and this is really a kind of an observation that I've made over the years. And that is how profound and how profoundly lonely people are. There's just a profound loneliness I've seen in people's lives and, and I've seen it in the body of Christ. I've seen it in churches. You may be one of those people. And I know there are a lot of ways to deal with that, really, scriptural ways. But can I tell you one of the most effective ways is contribute. When you feel lonely, then give. Do the opposite. You feel isolated, give. You feel by yourself like you're on the outside looking in, contribute. I know that's how I've dealt with my loneliness at times. I've realized I need to give. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to get isolated and I'm going to die and I don't want to do that. I don't want to die this way. I want to live. I want to live for Jesus and I want to serve. And when I start to serve, That life is there. You don't need to be a spectator. You don't need to be someone on the outside looking in. Contribute. And you'll see something amazing happen in your life. Here's something else. Philip and Andrew remind us that God moments can happen anywhere, anytime. That's what I love. Are you looking for God moments in your life? Are you paying attention to those God moments? Those moments you may have with your kids. You have with friends, coworkers. They're out there. You have them every day. The issue is, and it always is, is with me. 
Am I looking for those God moments? I think Philip and Andrew were guys who were on the lookout for those God moments at work, a lunchtime. <laughs> Every day they were looking for God moments. And let me finish, let me finish with this. Let me finish by going back to verse 21. I told you I'd do this and I want to finish this way. I love the phrase, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Doesn't that just, doesn't it just hit your heart? Sir, I want to see Jesus. Sir, I want to meet Jesus. I think from both sides of this, it just captivates me. From the side of a seeker, knowing exactly what they want to ask for, they're not asking for a lot of other things. They're not asking for worldly things or things that would benefit them materialistically. They're just going and saying, we've realized something. We realize we just need one thing. We realize we need Jesus. I love that. And I think we're in that place when we look around, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's remember this, that seekers, when they're seeking, are really looking for that one thing. They are looking for an encounter with Jesus Christ. I'm looking for an encounter with Jesus Christ. So in my followership of him, even in my weakness, even in my brokenness, I want to meet Jesus. And I want you to meet Jesus. And that's our challenge today. Because I think Jesus is calling you to a deeper commitment in following him. I don't think he's going to leave you the same. I really don't. I think there are things that are coming that he's going to challenge you. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Did you notice that's how Jesus approaches everyone? There's no in-between. There's no gray. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. You either believe or you don't. You're either thirsty or you're not. You're either hungry or you're not. You're either all in or you're out. There's no gray lines. There's no blurring of of the lines. And I think the Lord is calling us there. And I think here's our answer. Have it in your heart to say, I want to see Jesus. I want to meet Jesus. Everything I do, I want to meet him. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward if they would. And in a moment, we're going to have people around the sanctuary, around this building to pray for you if you need prayer today. But first, let me do this. Let me ask you this. If, are you someone that knows Jesus Christ? Have you, have you received his gift of life? Are you his follower? I said earlier that... Um, that I want to and, and I really pray that I do this. I see everyone as a potential follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're just a potential follower but you haven't come to that place of receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior, that can all change today. You can receive Him. The Bible says if you ask, He's not going to disappoint you. All who call on His name will be saved. That's what the Bible says. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to ask all of you to pray this prayer with me. And if you're here and you're a seeker of Christ, but you haven't come to that place of decision and you pray this prayer to come to that place of decision, then at the end of the prayer, still with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I think lifting your hand is a way of confessing. And Jesus said this, if you confess me before men, 
I will confess you before my Father in heaven. You can be sure of that. Let's pray together. And everyone, would you follow me in this prayer? Dear Jesus, I come to you and I receive the eternal life you have for me. Forgive me of my sins. Today, I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Today, I start the journey of being your disciple. In Jesus' name. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you prayed this prayer and you received Christ today, would you lift your hand for me again? I'm not going to embarrass you. Just lift your hand so that I can see you. Good, we have someone up here too. Just keep your hand up just for one moment. Great. Good, good. Just until you get a little package. We just want you to keep your hand up until you get this little package. We're going to get to you. It may take a second. Once you get that little pamphlet, you can put your hands down. But I want you to have this today. What you've just been given is a kind of a starter kit. Just helps you know where to begin the journey of following Jesus. For those that receive Christ today, do, do me a favor one more time. Just lift your hand. I want to see your hand. Just make that confession. Just lift up your hands. That's good. That's good. Good. You can put your hands down now. I know there are several of us. And for those that lifted their hands today, I want you to listen to the word of the Lord. The old has gone, the new has come. Today makes a difference in your life, that you're transformed from the inside out. You're changed. The old has gone, the new has come. That you ask God to forgive you of your sins through Jesus Christ, and your sins are forgiven. The Bible says who the Son, Jesus, has set free is free indeed. Believe that today. Believe that today. You've been set free. The confusion of life disappears. Clarity and wisdom comes in its place because Jesus loves you. For those that lifted your hand today, hear this, would you? Jesus loves you. I love you. I know the body of Christ loves you as well. Get to bask in that love today. Something you may not have felt or experienced in a while or maybe never. But today you get to enjoy the pure love of God. That's for you. It's for you. In Jesus' name. Would you applaud the salvation of the Lord? Would you stand with me? Would you do that? And what I want to do when you're standing here today is I want to just give you a blessing. It's a blessing that Moses and Aaron were instructed to give the children of Israel thousands of years ago. But it's a blessing that's still alive today. And I pray that you receive this blessing from the Lord. One of the things I'd like you to do, if you would... Is just put your hands out like this. It's symbolic of receiving something from God. 
Here's the blessing, and, and listen to this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.